appropriate song for us to sing just prior to getting into this particular section. We have been looking at Romans chapter 12 as we've been studying the book of Romans. And the chapter begins by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We have studied just incredible doctrine as we've gone through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And now Paul is calling us to take our lives and to make it a living sacrifice unto God. The song that we we just sang, this life is an altar where I want to offer my soul and my mind and strength cleansed by your mercy, to live a life worthy of the one who called my name. And that's what we want to do. We've been looking at what it is to be as far as how we are to be as Christians. And in, in verse 9, it, it called us, as we looked at last week, let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. The calling that we have as believers to, to one another, how we are to act towards one another, the love that we are supposed to have for one another, abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good, giving preference to one another, and doing it with with a fervent spirit serving the Lord, caring for each other's needs. And now we come to verse 14, and we'll be studying verses 14 through 21 this morning. Beginning in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this passage that we're reading, as Scott in his prayer for the tithing used the phrase frequently, this is a radical calling, a radical calling for us as believers. It's something that goes against our nature. It goes against what naturally comes out of us. Blessing those that persecute you. Repaying no one evil for evil. Think of what naturally comes out of me. Most of you know I've coached high school soccer now for, I think this is like my 24th year. But several years ago, I was coaching against a team, and, and 
this, this guy just, he, he takes out one of my players in, in a bad way, right, right in front of me. And, uh, and the ref didn't call anything. And so I said, come on, ref. Like, God just totally took out my player. And the kid stands up and goes, come on, ref. God just totally took out my player. And some of you know me as a player, like you've been, you've known me for that long. I, that doesn't go well with me. I, I, the first thing I did is I got my, I looked at my bench, saw my biggest guy. I said, come here. Because in my mind, what I wanted to say, because he said it loud enough for all my players and the stands to hear it. And I pulled him over because the first thing that was going through my mind is, can you make him wish that he didn't say that? But somehow in the process of the bench to where I was at, the verse that came to my mind was, repay no one evil for evil. And so my instruction to him shifted as far as saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go out there and do this. But my first reaction was, that guy needs to wish that he did not say that. Yeah, you look at, at this calling and, and it goes far, far bigger than that. Um, you think of the persecution that takes place around the world. Christians that are just treated in, in terrible ways. Surely there have been Christians who have read this and have thought of those who have just done horrible things against them. For well over a year, we had Pastor Justin Alfred teach our midweek study. And if you know Justin, he's, he's a, just a gigantic man. Played Division I football, football for Mississippi. Um, that strong southern accent that he has. And I, I remember several years ago listening to him. And, and th- this man, he, he has several degree black belts and several different kinds of martial arts. I talked to him about it. And he's like, well, the martial arts that I've done is not really the ones that you use to just compete. You use it to, to, to kill somebody. That's the kind of stuff that I've studied. And he studied stuff overseas and just highly trained in martial arts. None of that, but his, his hands are like this, you know, 10 inches long. I mean, it's just amazing to just see this. This man, he's just a gigantic man. I talked about how, how one time he was driving, and this young man got mad at him and, and started trying to drive him off the road. And, and they came up to a signal, and Justin got out of his car and went up to the window and guy rolls down his window. Justin just looks at him and says, son, (laughs) let me tell you why I'm not going to rip your head off right now and shove it down your throat. Let me tell you about the grace of God. (laughs) Just from there proceeded to preach the gospel to this young man. If you've seen him, that would be a very intimidating thing for the guy that wanted to run him off the road. But after that time, on October 29th, 2006, his daughter Ashley, who was 19 years old, was murdered. And um, I went to the funeral, and, and it, you, you think of just the pain. His daughter was dating a young man who was very abusive towards her physically abusive towards her. And she went to to break up with him, ended the relationship, and he he 
while driving, forced her out of the car and killed her. And Justin, he said, after my daughter's death, I'd, I'd never known so much rage and anger in my life. If the defendant had shown up at the hospital, I don't think five men could have held me back. Someone would have had to have put a bullet in my head. But since then, he said that his faith had helped him to realize that whatever that anger would have led him to do would have been incomplete. I, I pray for God's perfect and complete mercy, but also his justice, Alfred said. I, I must, he said to this young man in the courthouse, I must forgive you because God has forgiven me. I will not let anger rule my life. There in the courthouse, he said, there is a 500-pound anvil hanging over your head, and you are holding the rope. If you don't change, son, it's going to crush you. This court is showing you great mercy, he told this young man. You should take advantage of that. And then he read from Matthew chapter 15, saying, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Justin said, When thoughts come to my mind about this individual that killed my daughter, or when I remember some of the things his family said at the trial, I bless them. I bless them. He said, pursuing peace does not mean becoming a doormat for people to walk all over you. He said, it's essential to remain a person who is unafraid of protecting themselves, defending their family, and doing what is right. But you can't become a man of vengeance and rage. If you let hurt and pain into your life, it's going to destroy you. When we let bitterness guide and control our thinking, when we come, then we come short of God's grace. I experienced that in my own life. The situation with my daughter being murdered has been the apex. Every day I pray for the person who killed her, and every day I pray for his family, because every day I think of my daughter. You think of that, and you just think. Mm. You know, talking with him, he, as he shared in the the midweek, he, he would say, I, I used to think that the, the, greatest, the greatest sin that could overtake a man was lust. I used to think that, that just consume a man lusting for different things. And he said, I don't, I don't think so. I think that the most difficult thing that any man could ever deal with is revenge. Just, just wanting to hurt somebody that has brutally murdered your daughter. But the way God's work affects our hearts, it is only the believer that could say, I pray for him every day. I pray for his family every day. I, I bless him. Bless him. Because every day I, I pray for my daughter. Every day I think, or I don't pray for my daughter. Every day I think of my daughter. So I pray for that young man. It's only the believer that 
can forgive because the Holy Spirit resides in us and causes passages like this to come off the page of Scripture and the Holy Spirit uses it in our hearts. It's possible for the Christian to say things like, I will never forgive that person. They've done this or they've done that. Um, to have that within our hearts or, or the idea of repaying evil for evil because within our hearts there's this mentality that's just like, well, they're getting what they deserve. They did this, therefore the consequence is this. But then you read a passage like this and it affects us, doesn't it? You hear, you hear God say through the power of his word, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. For several years, I, the Lord just opened up doors and given me a heart for the persecuted church. Being half Japanese, I'm able to go into places like China or Vietnam or Burma, um, Indonesia, even countries like Pakistan, and, and, and blend somewhat with the people training pastors in places like China or Burma or, or, or Vietnam and listening to their stories of, of how they are persecuted. Listening to the, the amount of time that they have spent in prison. What they, what, what they were treated like in prison. L- looking at this old man, I think he was around 78 years old and I asked him what was it like being in prison and what was the food like and he said I would never think of feeding it to my pigs this is the brutality in which this man experienced and yet this heart to go back once again and continue to proclaim the gospel desiring so much that he would see his people come to know Christ listening to pastors in Vietnam where they're saying we know when we get back home we will be arrested and sure enough, they were arrested when they got home. But just that steadfastness and going because they want to proclaim the gospel. They want to see people get saved. Listening to, to Muslims who were saved in Pakistan. And they're in this place of knowing that if they go back to their families, if they go back to their people, that they could be killed for converting. And yet seen it in their face, the steadfastness of, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I so badly want to see people come to know Christ and how it is that they evangelize in their region. Heart of bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It says in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. The world is going to hate you because they hated me first. He goes on from there in chapter 16 to say, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. These things will happen to you. And yet you hear, you hear God saying, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. For blessing upon him, just as, as Justin Alfred said, I pray for him. I pray for his family. I pray for him. He prays for blessing upon him. I bless. I mean, just you hear him. You hear him just saying scripture where, where he says that, that when, when I'm thinking, when, my thought, when thoughts come to my mind about this individual that killed my daughter or when I remember some of the things his family said at the trial, I bless them. I bless them. When he says, I bless them, I bless them, surely Romans twelve fourteen is what's in his mind. I bless them. I pray for them. You hear Jesus call us in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun shine on, or sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Bless them. Not just those that are easy to bless. Not just those that are easy to love. They'll love your enemies, God calls us to. I mean, we, we look at this and it's just radical Christianity. There's people in our lives that do things against us, say horrible things against us. People who treat us terribly. And yet what God calls us to do is to bless them, to love them. This is impossible without the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's impossible without God doing a work in our lives. You may sit here this morning and just say, I cannot, I cannot forgive that person. And yet, you cannot in and of yourselves. But God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This, this very morning, God can work in your life to bring you to a place of forgiving. Forgiving those that have done horrible things against you. I think of Stephen, where... He's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 7 to this group of people. And, and when they hear what he's saying, it tells us when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Then they charge him. Um, they're there and they cried aloud with a loud voice and they shut their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who was there? Saul of Tarsus. What took place there? Here, Paul is writing these things. The apostle Paul, the one who got saved, is there for the stoning of Stephen. He's there and he's a young man and he says they started laying down their clothes at my feet. And they stoned Stephen, 
as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Here he's being just pelted with these rocks. And then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here, Paul is the apostle Paul, who at that time was Saul, is watching this take place. He's watching this man, Stephen, and just, he's just getting pelted with rocks, stones to where he's about ready to die. And then he just hears him say, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Praying for them. There's those that have looked at this and said, the apostle Paul was saved as a result of Stephen's prayer. But you look at this and you see God work. I mean, even in the heart of of Stephen as he's being pelted with rocks to pray. We see such a perfect picture of Christ in the church. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes this, when the nations were raging and the peoples imagining a vain thing, Christ did not move to destroy them. He did not destroy Adam when he sinned, but promised a savior and began the long course of history so that man could have opportunity upon opportunity to repent and return to God. He did not destroy us when we were ungodly sinners. He came from heaven to save us. He came into the camp of his enemies and allowed them to do their will against him in order to establish the foundation for our redemption. When we were without strength, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. Note that he did not save us by demonstrating his mighty power in some miracle. He saved us. He saved us by letting us kill him. How astonishing this is. And then he rose from the dead. And and when he rose from the dead, he did not judge those who behaved so wickedly against him. The Jerusalem to which he held out his arms before he died was still the center of his loving thought. He commanded his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But he commanded them to begin at Jerusalem. Was this not heaping coals of fire upon the heads of his enemies? And did it not melt the hearts of many? And we see the picture of Christ and always evil against him. Sin from the Old Testament to sin in the New Testament to being put to death on the cross. And in his words, our Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The people that raged against him, those that are there in Jerusalem, rather than saying, you know what, go elsewhere. He calls them, preach the gospel, beginning here in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Loving those in, in, that, that had done terrible things, and I think Barnhouse does a great job when he says, was this not heaping coals of fire upon the heads of his enemies, and did it not melt the hearts of many? The gospel going forward to those that hated Christ the most. And so the calling for us as Christians, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are to be joyful with others, not jealous, but genuinely happy for them, rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're also to weep with those that weep, having genuine compassion for others within the church, and outside of the church, weeping with those that are weeping. 
being there to care for them, being there to love them. Here we're looking at a section where it's just saying, take your life and present it to God as a living sacrifice. And then he goes and says, and this is what that should look like. And this is how you ought to be different. Verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Be of the same mind towards one another. Like-mindedness that is there. But associating with the humble. You hear Christ say in Luke 14, when, you're, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, um, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. And then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he also said to him who invited him, when, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Just this mentality Christ is teaching, don't, don't do things because it's going to be that which comes back to you. Hey, I'm going to invite these people because, man, they, they got connections. I'm going to invite this person. I want, you know, if, if we bring them to the wedding, surely we're going to get a nice present. <laughs> the, the, the mentality of looking and saying, like, let's, let's reach out to the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. That heart that just reaches out and says, I want to help somebody, but... I know that there's nothing they can do to pay me back. I'm not looking for a reward right now. I want to just please him. And it doesn't mean for us as believers that we're not to to be loving towards the rich or not to be loving towards our friends or our brothers or our relatives, those that are able to invite us back. But it's the heart that is there. God's calling us to have a different heart, a heart that, doesn't set our minds on high things, but associates with the humble. There to just love and to minister. It's important for us with, as, as a church body as well. There's those that are within our church where we need to, to love them. Every, every one of us. There's some people that have personalities that are overwhelmingly bubbly. Everybody can get along with them. But to have a heart that goes and reaches out from here to the person who is poor or the person who is sick, the person who is in the hospital, the person who has just incredible need, and to love them like that, this is Christian living. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Repay no one evil for evil. 
I think of when I, I flew out of South Sudan and, and arrived in, in Kenya. And right upon my arrival, um, the first bit of news that I got was that the U.S. Embassy had been bombed in Nairobi. And it was just chaos in that country. Um, we were there, and, and there was a pastor, Pastor Gitu in Nairobi, who pastored a church that we had served with. And his wife had just graduated and, from, from the university and was going to get her diploma. And hour after hour went by, even day after day, she did not come home. And... We started looking everywhere for her, going to all the hospitals. The hospitals were just chaotic. Um, there were so many dead bodies that the, the morgue, that they didn't have refrigeration. It was just bodies that had been thrown into these rooms. After going to the hospitals, we couldn't find her and then went to the morgue. And, and it was there that we had found her. She was in the bus coming home and was passing by the embassy when the explosion hit the glass from the bus had come and, and killed her. And mm, the family just wept and wept. Three daughters and a son, all under the age of 16. And they just, they just wept and wept. In my heart, I mean, I was just broken for them. Um, we were there for um, the funeral service and and then at, at that point, um, I just asked the whole family, do you guys, do you want to go on safari with me and just kind of get away? And they did. And so we went on a safari and just spent several days together. And it's it just a sweet time listening to them sing songs of praise in the car. It was just it was amazing to hear. It was shortly after that that we got back home and, or back to, to Nairobi, and, and we got word that the United States had bombed Khartoum and um, areas of Pakistan. And Gitu and his family didn't have telephones or anything like that, so I, I drove to their house to give them the news. I remember pulling up, pulling up to the house, and um, Esther and Ruth and Sarah came running out, and... I rolled down my window and I, I said, hey, you guys, just so you know, the people who killed your mom, the people who killed your mom, the, the United States just bombed them. And I remember seeing Ruth, her eyes just swelled up with tears and she said, you, you bombed them? And in my heart, honestly, I was, I felt like I was bringing good tidings of great joy, you know, like, we bombed them. And her eyes welled up tears, and I just, I'll never forget, she said, you bombed them? You should have forgiven them. It was just days before that their mom was killed. And I think, well, what, what makes a heart say something like that? Is only the, the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to forgive, to have verses come into our minds like repay no one evil for evil but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
a heart that looks and says, I can forgive. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that there comes a place where we need to fight. I am totally in favor of there are just wars and there's wars that need to take place. And there's times that you need to do something to help people that have no ability to help themselves. But the heart within us when we have been sinned against, rather than just revenge, 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 to have a heart that says repay no one evil for evil. Peter said, finally, all of you, in in chapter 3, verse 8, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You were, you were called to this. Christ said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, to resist an evil person. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. A heart that is just so different than our natural tendency. They're getting what they deserved. I mean, they started it. That mentality that's within us that changes through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word in our life. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The wording of Almighty God here in this passage is powerful to us. Because it says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. There is times where you are at odds with somebody. And you have to look at God's word and just say, okay, as much as it is possible with me, as much as it's possible, as much as it depends on me, I want to live peaceably with all people. And there's times where we could try so hard. We can ask for forgiveness. We can, we can reach out to these people over and over again. But there comes a place where if their hearts are so hard that they want nothing to do with you, There has to come a place where we just look and say, okay, Lord, have I done everything that is possible as much as it depends on me to live peaceably with all people? This is the heart of the Christian. It's a heart that's much different than what you find in other parts of the world amongst unbelievers. We aren't to be the crusaders that did things in the name of Christ. And yet when you look at history, you'll find that largely these were government things that were taking place that were far different than the church saying, let's do this. For us, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, verse 19, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What a way to think. Our first reaction is, you know what, I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to make them wish they didn't do that. But to have a heart that looks and says, okay, no. I'm to love them. I'm to, to bless them. I am to pray for them. But God is able to deal with them in a way that's appropriate. I mean, whatever we could do to anybody is nothing in comparison to Almighty God and the way in which he disciplines. To be able to take things and to give it into God's sovereign hands and say, God, 
I want to do what's right, but can you take this and, and you deal with it however you see fit? Within our household, there are times where Jonathan desires to be the dad of Natalie. Um, it's funny just to watch him react to her and, Natalie, don't do that. And just yesterday we said, Jonathan, that, that is not your job. That's, that's daddy's job. Or that's mommy's job. You come, you tell us, and then we will deal with her. And so frequently that happens. It's interesting just to see their minds work, though. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I need to share this with you. But don't, don't say things to the kids because they get upset about it. But it was just, it was, it was amazing because Natalie's eating and eating, and she's like, oh, I'm eating so much. My, my tummy is going to be so big, I'm, I'll probably have a baby. <laughs> and I said, Natalie, no, 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 you, you will have a baby someday when you get married. You need to be married first. And she says, I'm going to marry Jonathan. And Jonathan says, you're not going to marry me. You can't marry me. You're my sister. You can't marry. She says, I am. I'm going to marry Jonathan. John says, you can't. You can't marry me. I'm listening to this conversation. You're my sister. You're not allowed to marry me. You're my sister. And she's like, I am. He looks at me and goes, she's too little. She doesn't get it. She'll know when she's in college. Hopefully she knows before that. But you look at this and, and, and to be able to give place to God, saying, God, you're sovereign. I trust you to deal with this how you see fit. And, and I'm going to let you handle it. I'm, my job is not to put my wrath and vengeance upon them. My job is just to bless them and to love them. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In Romans 12, 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Feed your enemy. Give him drink. For this to happen, there needs to be forgiveness that takes place. We hear... God calls us in Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We see that this goes with being Christian is to forgive. And as a part of forgiving, it's to bless them. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on their head. There's some different views of what heaping coals of fire on the head symbolizes. It's, it's something where if you look at different commentaries, you're going to find a number of different interpretations. But it's, it's a very difficult section because you look at it and what does it mean? You might look at it like, okay, I'm going to forgive you. But when I forgive you, man, it's going to like burn your head badly. You know, I'm going to heap coals of fire on your head by forgiving you. That'll be like the worst thing I could ever do to you. Obviously, in the context of this, that is not what it's referring to. Um. John MacArthur says, the phrase heap burning coals upon his head referred to an ancient Egyptian custom 
When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. The point here is that when we love our enemy and genuinely seek to meet his needs, we shame him for his hatred. Um, Pouring good upon them, just like David did towards Saul. Pouring good upon them, clipping up a part of his robe as he was there in the cave and just saying, I could have killed you. God gave you into my hands, but I did not. Why do you want to kill me? And just to watch the way God worked through David and the way that David continued to love Saul. You look at this and that calling to, to do this to bring change. The disciples ministering first in Jerusalem and seeing the, the heaping burning coals upon their head, watching their hearts melt as well and seeing them come to know Christ. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. With good. For us as Christians, we are not to be overcome by the evil. Even sins that have come against us in terrible ways, but we're to overcome the evil with good, with doing what God has called us to do knowing that we have been forgiven so much. I'll close with this. In Matthew 18, Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, Peter, how many times do I forgive him? Seven? I I know what he was thinking. He's thinking like, I'm going to go big. I mean, the Lord is going to think like, whoa, seven. He's, you know, surprised you didn't start with like three. Three strikes, you're out. That's it. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. Um, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just hardly anything. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, I'll pay you all. And he would not, and went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. This is not teaching us that we are saved by the way that we work, but the 
and our good works in which we do. We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone. The fact is, though, is that if you're a believer, that mentality of, I'm not going to forgive you this, it's just such a broken way of thinking when you think of all that you have been forgiven of. God has forgiven you and forgiven you and forgiven you. And his mercies are new every morning. He tells us that he forgives us in such a way that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he forgiven us. He uses phrases like, and I remember your sins no more. I throw them into the depths of the sea. And God calls us as his people to forgive as he has forgiven. And this is important for us. The way that he has forgiven as far as, is, as far as the east is from the west. That's how we're to forgive. We're to be people who look and, and say, I, I don't want to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to forgive. I want to have a heart that is able to bless my enemies. Holding something over someone's head for the rest of their life is just wrong. When someone asks for forgiveness, we're to forgive and to honor Christ in the way that we forgive by saying, as far as the east is from the west. That's how I desire to forgive. I don't want to even remember it anymore. And if the tendency is for us to say, okay, but five years ago you did this, 10 years ago you did that, we need to just keep that inside, knowing that for us to even say it is sin. If we're to forgive, it's as far as the east is from the west. The result of a heart that forgives is a heart that is able to love even our enemies, even those who do terrible things against us. And to love like that, to care like that, Once again, this is only through God's enabling. Praying for hearts that love like that. It's part of regeneration. It's part of sanctification. It's part of God molding us and conforming us into his image. I encourage you this morning as as we've looked at this text. If there's those in your life in which you have these things against, this list against, and it's been just causing more and more bitterness within you. Forgive them. Pray that the Lord enables you to forgive them, even as Christ has forgiven you. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the text this morning. Um, Apart from you, Lord, we could do nothing, and yet we desire to abide in you and you and us, that we might have much fruit that comes out of our lives, Lord. And so this morning we call upon you and pray that you would just change hearts, enable us to forgive enemies, enable us to forgive one another here within the church, enable us to forgive our spouse or children or parents, enable us to forgive those who have done horrible things against us, even here in this world, persecuting us. Lord, we, we know that you are able to do that within our hearts, and so we pray towards that end. As we partake in communion, as Pastor Bill leads us in communion this morning, may, may it just be a sweet, sweet time of first forgiving one another and then coming to your table and giving thanks for what it is that you have done for us, remembering you during this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.